All right, good morning, church. Let's study God's word together. If you'd open your Bible to the book of Psalms, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 2, continuing our series called Inklings, and let's just dive right in. I'm going to read this entire chapter, then we'll get to work together. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and their ropes off of us. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the son or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion for his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. So in this series, Inklings, we've looked at how the Old Testament points us to Jesus and we've moved through, we're now entering into our third motif of how the Old Testament points to Jesus. We saw blood. We saw the the blood of the Passover lamb that was shed and applied to the doorpost of the house and it shielded them from the angel of judgment and how that pointed forward to the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and shields us from the judgment that we deserve. So Passover points to the cross. So there was blood. Then we talked about last week, breath, how God breathed life into dust in Genesis chapter two. And then how in Ezekiel chapter 37, God breathes on a valley of dry bones and all those things are pointing forward, foreshadowing resurrection life, new creation in Jesus Christ. So blood, breath, and then here this morning, thrones. How an ancient song in Psalm 2, that was used to coronate Israelite kings, how these words are foreshadowing the final, David's greatest son, the son of David, the son of man, ascending and being exalted to the right hand of the majesty on high. That's where this text is pointing us. So no one in my um, high school class hated reading more than I did. Uh, I, I just detested reading anything. And, and then I read, I'll fast forward real fast, I, I read one good book in college. And it's like a wire was connected that hadn't been connected before. And little by little, I wanted to read more and more and more. And then it really went into high gear in the year 2000. And I created a document uh, uncreatively called reading list. And in that, I've recorded every book I've completed reading from the year 2000 to the present day. And I just, now I love reading. So when our kids got old enough 
to be in high school and to take literature classes, I call dibs on helping the kids with literature class homework because I, I need to catch up on all the books I didn't read in high school. What were those books? I don't even know what those books were, right? And so I, I wanted to call dibs and get involved in that. I hope to get caught up on great reads I missed out on in high school. And so I'd ask the kids when they were reading through this book or that poem or whatever, and I'd ask them about the poem or the book. And next thing you know, we're going on vacation and I'm holding the book. I'm under the umbrella at the beach reading the Hittite warrior or whatever it might be, right? And, and I'm thinking high school, even in those moments while I'm reading those books that our kids had read, I'm thinking high school could have been so awesome because <laughs> these great books really are great books. The interesting thing about this particular illustration is most of our kids' high school teachers are here, i.e. in this room, either in the last service or in this service. So if, I don't know where to look, but if you were the one who assigned a poem to our high schoolers called Ozymandias, I'm not sure our adult kids are ready to thank you for it, but this late bloomer uh, dad, says thank you. And so Ozymandias is just this really interesting short sonnet. And they're in the sonnet in this poem, there's this huge statue that's been commissioned by the great king Ozymandias. And he commissions this huge statue as a perpetual tribute to his dreaded power and his everlasting glory. And so at the base of this statue, the sculptor was supposed to inscribe these words. My name is Ozymandias. King of kings, look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. So not a fun hang, apparently, Ozymandias, right? Uh, the inscription, here's the thing, is it didn't age very well because in the poem, the statue is stumbled upon by a traveler centuries later and the massive statue is in total ruins. And here's what the traveler describes when he sees what used to be a massive statue. Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk a shattered visage lies. And that shattered visage is just fancy poetic language for the busted head and face of Ozymandias. This huge stone head that's just half sunk in the sand. It's a poem about the fleeting nature of human power. And Psalm 2 is about power as well. So in the broader context of the book of Psalms, Psalm 1 and 2 aren't just the first and second psalm of the book of Psalms. They are, they are the pillars that hold up the entry gates into the Psalter itself. So these are introductory psalms. They are trajectory setting for the entire message of the book of Psalms as a whole. And when you put those things together, Psalm 1 basically says you need to know which way your life is going because the way of the righteous leads to flourishing and the way of the wicked will perish. So you need to know Psalm 1, the entrance gate of the Psalter says, you need to know which way your life is going. And then Psalm 2 says, not only do you need to know which way your life is going, you need to know which way history is going. And you need to get on board. So both of these Psalms at the entryway of the Psalter deliver this message. Make sure you choose wisely when you choose your refuge. Say that again. Make sure you choose wisely when you choose your refuge. And so to choose 
your refuge wisely, you need, number one, to see the fall. See the fall. The first three verses of this psalm invite you to understand your world. And it's a hostile world. If you're taking notes, that's the first point. It's a hostile world. Ever since Adam and Eve rebelled, there is an impulse in humanity to resist God's authority. That happened from Genesis 3, and it's going on apparently centuries and centuries, millennia later in Psalm 2. You can hear it, right? Look at verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? What are they raging against? Verse 2, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. And then you overhear them. You eavesdrop on the powerful people in the world. And here's what they're saying. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. That is, let's tear off the Lord's chains and the chains of the Lord's anointed. So back there, in the original context, that was speaking of opposition to the rule of David, of King David himself. But it's not just that. There's an inkling here that's pointing on forward to future developments, things that will take shape in coming days. And what happens? Keep reading the Bible, move from the Old Testament into the New Testament, get to the book of Acts, and the apostles are arrested for preaching on three topics you're not supposed to talk about in polite conversation. God, religion, and politics. And there they are. And they're talking about the fact that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, went to the cross and died and was raised again. And they go on talking about the implications of that for religion and for world power. They say Jesus is the end of the temple, which got the which certainly got the attention of the religious authorities. And they went on to say Jesus is the king over all the kings, which certainly got the attention of Rome. God, religion, and politics. It started a fuss all the way back there. The, the rage was ignited in both religious contexts as well as Roman governmental context. The nations raged and the peoples plotted in vain. What happens in Acts chapter four? The apostles are arrested they're threatened. Don't ever talk about this again. This risen Lord, ascended King, Jesus, do not talk about this. And so they're, they're threatened and then they're released. And what do they do? Once they're released, they come back to church on Sunday and they tell the people, here's what happened. They report what happened. And guess what the church was prompted to pray in Acts chapter four? Psalm two. You can hear it if you read Acts four, verse 25. They say, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. Notice how they apply that ancient song. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant, Jesus. Which is to say, it tells us how they read their Bibles. They read Psalm 2 and they said it was fulfilled today. It was fulfilled when the world rages against Jesus Christ sitting on his throne. It's a hostile world too. It's a persecuting world. Jesus would say to his disciples, they'll come for me first. They'll come for you next. If the world hated me, it will hate you also if you're faithful to me. We, 
we engage in global missions and we become increasingly aware that Christians in other parts of the world endure severe persecution. Their lives are literally threatened. When they come up out of the waters of baptism, their life is on the line. It's why we keep praying for the global church, the persecuted church, and for the advancement of the gospel. And make no mistake, the world isn't getting better with age. FDR gave a well-known speech that included this statement, quote, the great fact to remember is that the trend of civilization is forever upward. That language lands awkwardly when the speech is being given in April of 1939. If you know anything about history, you know what was going on in April of 1939. Imperial Japan was at its zenith. Dachau was a well-oiled machine for six years running by that point. The Soviet Union was still in the process since 1919 or so of flushing 60 million people down the drain forever upward. Strange words, right? What was he smoking is the question you want to ask. The fancy way of saying it is cognitive dissonance. But our way of saying it is what was he smoking, right? What, what was the idea there? Our, our world, think about it. Our world takes a selfie and applies an Instagram filter. And Psalm 2 removes the filter. Psalm 2 lets us see the fallenness of the world shining through. It lets you hear the fact that Every form of government, and I'm saying every on purpose, every form of government in this fallen world established between Genesis 3 and the present day is hostile to the throne of Christ. Either covertly, overtly, in one form or another, every form of governance in the world is hostile to the throne of Christ. The rulers in in the halls of power in the time of David, the rulers in the halls of power at the time of, of David's greatest son, the halls of religion and of power, then and now, they perceive Christ's kingdom as a threat. And get this, they're 100% right. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is a threat to every earthly power. See the fall, second, see the throne. So right after we overhear the war room strategizing of cultures, movers, and shakers in verse three, we are immediately made aware of the one enthroned in heaven. What amazing words, right? Right after we overhear the powers of the world, we hear about the one enthroned in heaven. God's answer to hostile powers is a coronation announcement. Someone is being installed on a throne and that someone's being installed by God himself and it's God's king. On the installation day of each successive king from David's line, this psalm was invoked. It was part of the ceremony on day one, the installation ceremony invoked and quoted from this psalm. It was a way of telling the entire people of God, the people of Israel, resituate your refuge. It's a day to resituate your refuge. It's a day to hitch your hopes to the promise of God that he would establish justice through a king from David's line. And so right after we hear the rulers of this world, quote, take their stand, we are told the kings of the world cannot succeed. They're taking their stand, but it's a futile effort. It will not succeed. Humanity's best laid plans to curtail God's reign are laughable. 
You see those words in verse four. The one enthroned in the heavens laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Christians should be the people who are defiantly hopeful and unshakably happy. Actually, the entrance to the book of Psalms begins and ends with the same word in the Hebrew text. Happy. Happy is the one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked and all who take refuge in him are happy. Beginning and end on your way into the Psalter is be happy if your refuge is the Lord. Walker Percy was a native Alabamian born in 1916. He was an author. He was a philosopher. And on one occasion, he said, I'll give you two reasons why I became a Christian. And there were, it's an interesting angle that he comes at it from. He says, the two reasons are this. Number one, I'm a Christian because the Jews still exist. He said, there's no earthly reason for the Jews to still exist. Pharaoh, the most powerful ruler in ancient Egypt, the most powerful kingdom at the time, tried to destroy them, and he got his army buried underwater. (laughs) And then they walked for 40 years through a desert with no grocery stores, and water came from rocks, and heaven fell from the sky to keep these people alive. And then Herod's genocidal decree in the early pages of the gospel, and then Hitler's holocaust. By earthly considerations, Walker Percy said, they should have been gone a long time ago, and yet here they are. He says, I'm a Christian because the Jews still exist. By the same token, how is Christianity still a thing? You ever thought about that? 11 of the 12 disciples of Jesus died excruciating deaths. They were martyred. Most of them were fishermen. And yet the faith they proclaimed is now professed by one third of the global population. Who saw that coming? Talk about a surprising reversal. Talk about a twist ending. This was Percy's other argument. He said, I'm a Christian, number one, because the Jews still exist, and two, I'm a Christian because the Hittites don't. (laughs) Percy said, here's this powerful, ambitious, aggressive, well-resourced nation, and it's gone. There's no memory of it in the world. William Plummer, a British politician and public intellectual, pointed out the fact that 30 high-ranking Roman officials who specifically distinguished themselves by their zeal to end Christianity, and here are the outcomes of those 30 high-ranking Roman officials. One became deranged, one was slain by his own son. Two went blind, one was drowned, one was strangled, one died in brutal captivity, seven died from loathsome circumstances, three died by suicide, five were assassinated by their own servants, eight were killed in battle or died in prison, and the remainder got immobilizing diseases. In other words, he who sits in the heavens laughs. Real talk about thrones? We live in this world and this life is a vapor. It is, it is moving by so fast. My oldest son, our oldest son, is getting married this Friday. And it's going to be awesome. And I'm not old enough for this. <laughs> Life is going by so fast. You think about it, some people in this room, at best, you got 40 years left. 30. Some 20. Some 10. Max. Here's the question, how many 
of those 40, 30, 20, 10 years you've got left are you going to spend fretting about earthly thrones? Here's my goal, even in a political year next year. Zero. We don't fret because our king is on his throne, the enemy's best efforts notwithstanding, and he can't be moved off his throne, and he didn't need an election to get there. He got there by resurrection. He got there by the father's appointment. The father put the crown on his head, and it'll never come off. Verse 6 you overhear God the Father leading an installation ceremony. I love what Patrick Schreiner says in his great book, The Ascension of Christ. He writes, Psalm 2 allows us to overhear the words of the Father to the Son when Jesus came into heaven. <laughs> it offers a heavenly perspective of what happened to Jesus when he went to the Father. It foreshadows, that's why we call this inklings. It foreshadows the ascension where God laughed at the kings of the earth when he installed Jesus on the highest throne and told Jesus he would sit on that throne forever. See the fall, see the throne. Third, hear the plan. Hear the plan. You wanna hear heaven talk about God and politics? Read Psalm 2. You want to hear heaven talk about God and politics? Read Romans 8, which says this. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above, note this word, every Ruler and authority, power and dominion. Hebrews chapter one, verse three. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things at his right now. Jesus from his throne, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Psalm 2 says you need to know where history is going so that you can wisely choose your refuge. Psalm 2 says he who sits in the heavens laughs and then you come over into the New Testament and the New Testament says the one who sits in the heavens has a name and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He came lowly, he died gruesomely, he rose gloriously he reigns invincibly. The scope of his reign is global. So unlike the coronation ceremonies wherein God installed a Davidic king to rule over Israel, this psalm has an inkling about the future, about a day when God would install a Davidic king to rule the world. You overhear the son talking to the father and what the father says to the son. And, and the son says, the father told me, now that I'm on the throne, ask me for the nations. It's your inheritance. I will give you the nations, just ask. Missions, friends, understand, is Jesus Christ claiming his inheritance. He asks and the father gives the nations. Jesus says in the Great Commission, we recite it almost every Sunday, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given, right? That's, a, that's language of exaltation. That's language of thrones. All authority in heaven and on earth is mine. 
tell the nations, all the authority is mine. Which nations? All the nations. <laughs> tell all the nations. I don't have some localized jurisdiction. Tell them all. As far as you can go, that's how far the reach of my kingdom will be. The scope of his reign is global. The force of his reign is unstoppable. Every nation on earth, no matter how far from God, if it will recognize this king, it will flourish in his kingdom. And every nation on earth, no matter how close it seems to God, if it will not recognize this king, it will look like the clay pot you see in verse nine. Shattered and scattered. Clay pot versus iron rod, iron rod wins. Jesus is the one who died for sins. There is no other atoning sacrifice coming. Let the blood wash you clean or you will never be clean. Let the blood cleanse and remove guilt or you will never be other than guilty. Jesus is the one who died. Jesus is the one who was raised to life. Jesus is the one who rules now even though it's not visible to the naked eye. It is not manifest openly and outwardly. It is, it is his hand hidden in the glove of history. It's providential rule and reign. And Jesus will, has not only risen and been exalted to God's right hand, but he will return and it will spell relief for all who wisely chose him as their refuge. And it will spell disaster for all who have spurned his rule. Friends, this morning I would be a charlatan, I would be unfaithful if I didn't tell you Jesus Christ has teeth. He is a lamb, but he is also a lion. He is compassionate and he is also a consuming fire. Do not mess with him. Do not play with or spurn his glory. Look, those who live for personal glory those who trample others in the process, it might be fun for a minute, but it does not end well. It might be enjoyable for this vapor of a life, but in the end, clay pots versus iron scepter, iron scepter shatters pots. I say all that to say this. If you are not with Jesus Christ by faith in him, I have no hope for you. There is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. He's the one refuge in the world and he's available if you trust in him, his cross, his resurrection. Put your trust in him. Find the one place you can hide from what we deserve, what our sins deserve. There is hope in Jesus Christ. There is good news. There is gospel. To wisely choose your refuge, you need to, one, see the fall, two, see the throne, three, hear the plan, and four, bow the knee. Bow the knee. This text moves scenes, opening scene. It's four stanzas. Opening scene, earth. Second scene, heaven. Third scene, heaven. Fourth scene, earth. It's, literature calls this a chiasm. Stanza one, we hear the words from earth in verse three. Stanza two, we hear words from heaven in verse six. Stanza three, we hear words from heaven in verse seven. Stanza four, having heard heaven's words, we come back to earth and say what? Verse 10, kings, it's time to wise up. In light of what heaven has said about its installed king, 
Be wise, receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord, this is your best move. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the son. One translation says, kiss the son lest he be angry. It's not a romantic kiss, right? It's a kiss of submission. It's a get low and bow your knee. Pay homage to the son or he'll be angry. You will perish in your rebellion for his anger may ignite at any moment. But notice the last statement. All who take refuge in him are happy. Heaven's news changes the way we see earth's kings. It resizes earth's kings. Notice the whole change of tenor from verse 3 to verse 10. In verse 3, we were listening to earth's kings. In verse 10, we're preaching to them. We're, we're speaking truth to power. We're saying, kings, be wise. Your next move matters everlastingly. Be wise. Instead of, basically what we're saying in verse 10 and following is, instead of plotting an overthrow that is futile and impossible, do this. Be wise, serve with awe, rejoice with trembling, pay homage to the sun. And notice there's mercy here. The kings and rulers of verse two, having rebelled against God's regime, they have an opportunity for mercy. Kings, be wise. The door's open. There's an opportunity. Now, this psalm really, it concludes with a negative incentive and a positive incentive. The negative incentive, the carrot and the stick, if you will. The negative incentive is pay homage or he will become angry and you will perish. It's a bowing. Bend your knees before the Lord of heaven. Christian friend, can I ask you this morning, does your faith in Christ find you bowing before him? Not consulting him as your life coach, bowing before him as your king and Lord. That's real faith. Real faith sees the real Jesus and falls before him in worship and adoration and praise and absolute allegiance. Commentator Derek Kidner put it so well. There is no refuge from God. There is only refuge in God. There is no refuge from God, only in God. Kiss the son or he'll be angry and you will perish. That's the negative incentive. The positive incentive is all who take refuge in him are happy. It doesn't end on that negative note. It ends on the happiness note. You, you want to be happy forever? Find your refuge in Christ. Here's the uncomfortable truth that exposes our refuge, our false refuge. The nations are supposed to be raging, not the church. Can I say that again? The nations are supposed to be raging, not the church. When Christians lose sleep because the nations rage against the Lord, what Christians need is Psalm 2. Psalm 2 says, look, there's a throne and it will never be moved. On that throne is a God who is not perturbed in the least. He is not the least bit anxious. Here's a couple of take-homes for us. Number one, trust in Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe. Two, see his throne and submit to his rule. And three, don't lose your sense of humor. There is a rage that rests on the faces of those who clamor for earthly power. But there is laughter 
that rest on the faces of those who know the future belongs to the Lord.